it's another beautiful evening. Okay, it's evening at this time um, as, as recording. Um, how has your week been? Hope it's been a brilliant week to all the listeners. And uh, one more time, this is Value Nigeria podcast, and it's a pleasure to bring the podcast to you one more time. Um, the aim of the podcast is to deliver financial education. Um, thankfully, we don't give hot tips. We don't talk. We don't give like um, this is the what you should buy. This is what you should sell. No, it's all about empowering you, the listeners, to be able to make those decisions on your own. And um, over the past few weeks, we have brought a lot of guests um, across to share their points of view, to share their thoughts about investing, about the proper approach to things. In that same vein, we also have a guest this evening on the podcast. It's an interview that I've been looking forward to for a very few weeks. And that's just because I see a lot of similarities between this, the story of my guest and um, myself today. Let me put it that way. <laughs> um, don't worry, as you, as you get to listen, you'll hear more about that. My guest today is an investment banking analyst and an equity research analyst. Um, he is a level two CFA certification holder, and um, I believe in no time he will be getting the full certification. Um, my guest didn't start out as an investment analyst. He, actually, his BSc, which is his first degree, was in physics. And one of the things I hope to explore with him today is how he was able to make the switch from the sciences, like even from the core science, even to core investing. My guest today works with Norem Boja which is a boutique investment bank, and um, we'll be getting to hear quite much more about that. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Yinka Adetuberu to the show this evening. Um, Mr. Yinka, do you just want to say hello to listeners of the podcast today, sir? Good evening, Mr. Ajibala. Good evening, listeners. It's nice to be on the podcast today. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Mr. Yinka. I remember all our conversations. It's just been so smooth and you've been very magnanimous in creating time out of your busy schedule even to join us on the podcast this evening. Um, Before we get into the core of things, I I always like getting to know our guests a little bit on a personal level, a little bit general. Um, Do you mind just telling us a little bit about your educational background, your professional background, and maybe your personal background as well, sir. All right, thank you. Um, just like I said, my name is Nkade um, Tuberu. I'm from Oshun State in Nigeria. Um, I started off as a physicist, and just like the intro said, I went to University of Ibadan, did physics. I had a course class in physics and from University of Ibadan. Um, by and large, I actually wanted to become a professor of um, physics, and uh, I enrolled into a master's in physics in junior lab. But along the line, I wasn't feeling the vibe, so I helped out of the master's in physics, and then um, picked up an employment with um, a local school to be um, the head of sciences as a physics teacher and then the head of science um, department. Um, teaching was very, very dear to me because I taught for like six years, I mean, two schools. But then um, I just wanted something very different. And um, it all started when I read the book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That book um, changed my mentality about uh, 
what I know about money, though the book is controversial, but then I I credit it as the watershed in um, the switch that I made um, to my career. So um, I wanted to be a great investor, just like the investors um, um, Robert Kiyostaki used to mention in his books. So I ventured out to be a great investor. I went online, started digging materials on great investors, Robert Angstrom, Warren Buffett, and Sheila. I started reading all about them. It then got to a point that it was like an aha moment, like I can switch from science to um, being a professional investor. So I sat down and then looked at what it would take me. I enrolled into MBA physics, um, MBA finance and investment. Um, currently um, wrapping up my MBA in finance and investment. And just like um, Mr. Jibala said, um, um, a level two CFA candidate hoping to write level three in February 2023. And the also, I'm currently doing master's in financial engineering at WorldQuant University, USA. Um, currently, I am an investment banking analyst. Um, I also hold um, the research desk for my company. Wow. Thank you very, very, very much for, for shedding that light into your personal background, professional background, and educational background. Um, it really boggles my mind thinking about how much you it would have cost you to switch from a core science, you know, um, core science background of physics, even into retail investing and then into professional investing. Um, you, you made mention of something as you spoke. You talked about sitting down to calculate the cost of, you know, to calculate and plan how to make the switch. Can you just tell us a little bit more about the importance of dreams, you know, and planning and how to, you know, bring our dreams to reality, sir? Mm, thank you very much. You know, um, making a switch from hardcore science, just like you said, physics for that matter, to totally unrelated um, feed, like finance, and not just finance, hardcore finance, investment banking, you need to be extremely tactical and you need to really question yourself if um, the dream you dreamed was actually a good dream or you were not dreaming. So I actually took me close to a year before I could I finally decide that okay, I'm going to make a switch. Because I had questioned myself all the while that um, I had intended to be a pro, um, become a professor of physics. Why am I now switch into finance. But then when I settled that in my mind, I had to sit down. I remembered I went online to um, do a couple of research on first, what um, is the education that would take me to be a finance professional? What are the certificates? What are the skills I need to acquire? that will make me become a finance professional. It was totally different from the education I had um, previously. But then, just like I said, I sat down, I looked at the um, 
certificates that were in the industry, I saw that the faster way of switching was to do an MBA and then get um, a CFA certificate. So I opted in for those two. Of course, because I, I was not a core um, finance student, the schools I was hoping to put in for my MBA were requiring criteria that were very, very fragile that I could not just meet up. Fortunately, that's when opportunity uh, meets um, preparation. Um, Amadou Belo University came out with um, their finance program, especially MBA uh, for professionals. It was just timely. I put in for MBA finance and investment and then started my CFA. I remember then, in um, that was around 2019, 2018, yeah, 2018, 2019. I sat down, I wrote down, I wrote down the step that I'm going to take for the next five years. So I started with what are the knowledge base I need to acquire. From the knowledge base, what are the skills I need to acquire? Then from that, what are the necessary um, certificates I need to bag? And how fast can I move with this career? So I saw that I needed to at least have four core knowledge base, accounting, finance, economics, and then politics. Okay, so how do I come about that? An MBA and a CFA certification would definitely give me those um, um, knowledge base. So putting in for those two um, programs uh, will pretty much help me to cover those knowledge base in accounting, finance, economics, and politics. It was not easy because I didn't have the, so to say, the old level knowledge. So I had to, I remember I had to go and buy accounting, O-level textbook, economics, O-level textbook, government, O-level textbook, commerce, O-level textbook. And I started reading. I even had to pay a, an account teacher that was my friend to start teaching me O-level accounting. I remember then I, for six months, he taught me accounting. Then I would, fortunately where I was teaching, I will go into the economics class of um, um, the teacher then. And then uh, when I'm free, I'll just go into the economics class and then go and sit down. And then I started learning, I started learning, I started learning, started grasping the basis, so to say. By and large, I got my MBA, then the CFA, which I'm hoping to write on level three. I then looked at the skills. What are the skills I needed to acquire? Apart from the knowledge, you need to move from the knowledge base now to the skills because it's not just knowledge you will use and succeed in the industry. You need the skills. I noticed that I needed how I need to know how to do valuation, how to do financial modeling, how to write business reports, equity reports, how to communicate. So I went into Pretty much 2018, 2019, 2020, all my siblings went into acquiring those skills. And then, hey, yeah, I am now, at least, being featured on the podcast, showing that um, um, they're paying off. Absolutely brilliant, sir. 
you know, just listening to you speak is a huge inspiration. Not just not just only to me, I believe to a lot of people listening. People sometimes think they've gone too far ahead with their lives and it's difficult to make a switch. It's difficult to give in, you know, to, to pursue their dreams. But you've done brilliantly, sir. And I, I must say thank you very, very much. Um, in, in preparing for this podcast, I read through some of your write-ups on social media and I read your five-year plan and I was like, man, uh, I really, really have to speak with this gentleman and thank you very much. Thank you very much. Your, your life is indeed a, a testimony. Um, there's something else I was hoping to to tease out from your history. Um, you talked about the transition. I think somewhere along the line, if, if I understand or if I sensed correctly, I think you started out, before going into the professional investing, you started out with your own personal finances to see if you could try the market, learn the market. What was that experience like for you as a retail investor starting out? Yes. When I wanted to uh, make the switch, I, of course, from my science background, I know that if you want to um, find out some, about something, you will need a control experiment. So the best way to actually see if I can succeed and to learn fast um, was to start the investment for my own personal purpose. So I pieced some few amount of minerals together. I opened a brokerage account. I started learning how to invest, how to pick stocks, how to read stocks charts, how to analyze companies, even before I became a professional investor, even before I pursued my MBA and my CV, I started learning how to analyze companies, even though I don't have the tools. But when I pick newspapers, when I pick equity research reports, when I pick industrial reports, I can at least follow through. And then I remember when I first did my back of the hand um, envelope valuation then, and I got something very close, very related to what they had on Bloomberg then. I had a friend that had access to Bloomberg. So I did a back of the hand valuation of Dangote Cement and it was very, very close. Oh my God. The job I did then for someone who is just starting, a retail investor, making such headway into valuing a company. At least I, it made me understand the process of valuing a company. Though later I announced, I saw um, some loopholes in what I did and how to adjust. But then, doing the investment or the investing for my own personal purpose allowed me to make mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. I remember them for close to a year, my portfolio was in the red. Not just in the red, it was in deep red. But then, I now I started analyzing why my portfolio was in red. I noticed that I had deep concentration in the particular industry, and I didn't take note of um, the industrial trend then. So being able to spot that from my own personal portfolio actually helped me in switching. When I made the final switch to um, a professional investor, I'm very tuned to being able to, at least I'm receptive to being able to analyze industrial trend and being quick, um, being quick to spot um, what is moving an industry. Being able to do that from my own personal experience gave me a huge advantage, at least when I finally broke into the industry. 
at least I had some um, foundation, some level to talk from. Even if I wasn't speaking all the big grammar, I had the level to speak from. At least people were able to listen to me. At least this guy has some experience. So being able to do it from my own experience actually gave me huge leverage. Now, you're someone that has experienced both sides of the coin, being a retail investor and then being a professional investor. Um, this show is mainly listened to by the retail investors. Um, do you just mind sharing some advantages that retail investors have, even over some of these large institutional investors that they may not even realize it? Um, some benefits of being a retail investor and how they can take the most of those advantages. The first advantage is your little cash. A retail investor might think, um, because I have little cash, I'm easily disadvantaged. No. Um, having experienced um, both sides of the coin, as a professional investor, there are so that is regulated by um, government authority. There are so many restrictions that uh, we are under. Even with the um, abundance of investing opportunities, there are regulations as to what and how we can invest. But that regulation does is not binding on a retail investor. For um, an institutional investor, the amount of money you can invest in a cap in a particular company might be capped by regulation. But for a retail investor, it's not capped. And then, because there's no emotional attachment like that between the retail investor and the company, you can easily make a switch. Yeah. Though the switch um, they creates turnover for your portfolio, but then as a retail investor, sometimes um, that switch, that turnover, might actually be good for your for your portfolio health. But then that does not come for a professional. A, pro, a professional cannot just turn over in um, portfolio. There are rules that guide, that governs how to turn a portfolio over. So basically, um, your little cash is a huge advantage for a retail investor. Thank you very, very much, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Just to highlight a couple of things that you have said already. Um, so this, the small capital a retail investor operates with is actually an, a, a huge advantage. They can easily build into a position. They can easily get out of a position. They don't have waiting yes. restrictions. It's easier for them just yes. to navigate the market. Mm. All right. Yes. Perfect. I, I hope the retail investors listening are learning and can take advantage of some of these things that you have highlighted. Now, looking at the macroeconomic space for Nigeria, we are moving into the, or you've just entered into the second half of 2022, which is obviously a, an electioneering or a campaign period. 2023 is an elect, election year. How, how do you see the macroeconomic conditions for the second half of the year? leading even into 2023? And how do you think investors can take advantage of these trends? Mm, thank you very much. Um, before we look at uh, the H2 outlook, um, what happened in H1? So, uh, 
if you look at where we are coming from, what is dominating um, the global macro space is um, inflation. Um, the inflationary pressure is very, very high. Some countries are suffering from prices that are as high as 40 year high, some 20 year high, some 15 year high. Um, the Russia Ukraine war is also piling a lot of um, pressure on the global supply chains, which is exacerbating the um, inflationary pressure also. And then the um, lockdown in the Chinese economy due to the resurgence of the COVID-19 um, is dampening um, global growth. Um, the inflation that has been experienced actually is expected. During the COVID-19 lockdown, um, there were a lot of um, fiscal stimulus from government authority and then um, monetary assistance from the monetary authorities. Um, um, most central banks um, slashed interest rates. So lots of money um, in the economy and the very low interest rate. So there was actually little or no incentive for people to save and people also add cash. So those two, even though it brought out um, the economy out of the um, gloomy um, outlook, we saw that those money had to find their way to something. They found their way to um, cryptocurrency. We saw cryptocurrency moving from 30 something to as high as 67,000 in January before slumping to as low as 18,000 recently. We saw the price of um, S&P moving to um, the highest valuation in five years. And we saw bonds um, um, peaking to their lowest yield. So we saw um, the inflows moving into financial assets. We saw housing, housing prices in US moving very, very um, high. But then, because of um, this um, lot of spending, um, due to the um, supply chain um, trouble that engulfed um, the whole uh, world due to the COVID-19, and then the increase in demand as people were moving out of lockdown, demand um, increased, but then supply did not meet up with um, demand obvious, obviously. Um, simple law of economics tells us that there would be um, increase in price when there is a demand supply imbalance. So prices skyrocketed. Um, the response of um, central banks was actually textbook response, was to increase interest rates. So by and large, what we saw um, dominate the first half of um, um, 2021 was high inflationary pressures and the central banks trying to respond um, using um, Facebook um, response by increasing interest rates. We saw um, Bank of England um, increase interest rate for um, like up to five times. They started since last year, um, September, and they've increased interest rate every of their meetings. Uh, we also recently saw the um, Federal Reserve of the United States um, 
shocking the market um the last um meeting they had by increasing interest rate by 75 basis points um with strong words that they are out there to curb inflation but then we know that um, the inflationary pressures came from um demand supply imbalance and so there's literally um just little that the central banks can do even though if they increase interest rate to bring down the demand these um demand supply imbalance will still be there so we expect inflationary pressures to um continue even in h2 but then due to the fragile world economy we have seen world bank um cutting um global growth in their recent um global outlook i think it was only nigeria that um, had a good fortune for its growth to be revised higher from 2.3 to 2.7 percent all other major economies were forecasted to um go even some to go into recession so going into h2 analysts are looking at the fact that the increase in interest rates might actually cause um, a slowdown in demand even leads to a recession so the global outlook for h2 is um, a recessionary outlook um, while we still expect the uh, inflationary pressure to still remain high even though um, it might taper off we still expect the inflationary pressure to may at mid level because the causal agent for this inflationary pressure are still there. The Russia-Ukraine war is still ongoing. Um, oil um, supply is still very, very low. It's not keeping up with the demand. So looking at H2, we expect some countries to experience a um, recession. We expect uh, global growth to slow down. We expect um, inflation to, um, even though it might taper off, to still be at a mid level. Because of that, we still expect um, central banks to continue their interest rate song. So we expect central banks to still continue to, at least for the next three months, to increase interest rates so as to seriously bring down the level of demand that will curb um, um, rising inflation. So with that, we expect even um, valuation for most um, equities markets to still correct going forward. Um, if they correct, we analysts are looking at the fact that some speculative assets like cryptocurrency might even dip to as low as um, um, 18,000, even though we um, to 10,000 rather, even though we've seen it move from 18,000 to as high as 22,000 recently. Um, analysts are predicting that the 22,000 is not a strong support for it, that it's, we still uh, break down the trend line and then move downward. The same thing for equities. Even though valuations have corrected, the second leg that makes up for change in price for equities, which is earnings, of course, since if the economy is bright, we expect the earnings of um, companies to remain bright. But as we are already predicting and as analysts are 
predicting um, a recessionary outlook for the global economy. Analysts are already looking at the second leg of um, pricing for equities will take a hit. That's the earnings. So we're expecting earnings to slow down. So if earnings slow down and we still have um, correction in valuation, that means definitely we are expecting equity prices to still trend downwards in H2. So in H2, um, unfortunately, um, it's, it's um, a dim outlook. We are expecting some countries to slide into recession. We've even we started seeing some of those trends in Europe. Recently, um, this morning we saw um, U.S. dollar um, peaking to as high as one dollar to one euro in, um, in terms of exchange rate, which typically signifies that um, um, Europe is losing um, its edge over. Um, Russia, um, over United States. Of course, is expected. Looking at the fact that Europe is the theater of um, the Russia-Ukraine war and has been badly hit by um, commodity um, price hikes. So, what should um, retail investors do going forward? Of course, from what um, Tycoons in investing have told us moving yourself out of the market completely will just damage your wealth building. You should learn to stay in the market. How do you learn to stay in the market? Look at um, your investment plan. What are your investment plans? What are the objectives you add coming into the investment world? So look at your own goals. Once you have settled that, look at the way your portfolio is structured. Is it well balanced? Yes, of course, we know that um, something that has not happened in the, uh, for a very long time, both the equities and the bond market taking the hit, and both of them trending downwards together. Normally, what we expect is inverse relationship. If bonds are moving higher, um, equities will be trading lower. So they kind of counterbalance each other. But um, for this period, we saw that both of them move downwards. So it was actually a very a great challenge to investor, but still, an investor will look at his portfolio and will look at it that it is well balanced. Equities, debt, commodities, real estate, um, private equities. You look at your portfolio, look at it that it's well balanced, and then you can then try to then take advantage of some um, asset um, sectors that you think might perform during the um, recessionary uh, pressure. For the equities, asset classes like energy, um, utilities, um, healthcare sector, they are sort of um, um, a shock absorber for a uh, for recessionary period. And then for the bond market, um, move to investment grade uh, um, debt. And then for real estate, of course, also look at real estate that are cash paying, rent paying real estate, not just investing for price paying for um, real estate. So taking um, those points, I think um, investors um, should um, be good by the year end. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, sir.
you you've broke this thing down in very very simple terms and i'm so happy that um, we have you on the show uh, i believe anybody listening will do themselves a lot of favor by taking heed to all that you're sharing um f- from what you've said sir it looks like there might be buying opportunities in some of the equities going into the second half of the year because um, if, if earnings go down valuations go down then prices head downwards um do you mind just sharing a little bit about how retail investors can go about researching a company like learning about a company to decide if it's worth buying or not because there'll be a lot of buying opportunities how do we go about researching into a company to see if it's worth our capital or not okay so um first and foremost be weary of financial news yes read News, but be weary. Be weary of um, CNBC sitting down and uh, absorbing all the gloomy news from CNBC. Yes, um, CNBC is good. I featured on CNBC. I talked to CNBC guys, but investors sitting constantly at the screen, staring at CNBC and absorbing um, not just CNBC, financial news channels generally, and absorbing the negative um, news feeds will actually affect your emotions. So the first thing is um, minimize your contact with financial news. Just take um, financial news that you will use um, to um, update yourself on your portfolio. Now, going about how do you um, research um, companies? Well, first and foremost is you yourself, you have to be updated about what is happening in the economy. Any any company does not operate out of the generality of the um, general economy. So what is happening in the economy will determine what are those sectors of the economy that will perform. Take the case of Nigeria, for, for instance. Nigeria is going into um, election year. We know that there will be inflow of money into the economy. There will be, okay, if, rather than saying inflow of money, though, yes, there will be inflow of money. Let me see, there will be increase in the velocity of money. Money will move um, faster than usual uh, because of the activities in the economy. Money will move faster. Because money is going to move faster, there are some sectors in the economy that will benefit from the movement of um, um, money. Take a look at the real estate sector. Because it's um, election year, the government will want to um, be in the good books of the voters. So infrastructural projects that they've laid down, they want to quickly rush it and then um, finish it off to at least look good in the um, face of the voters. Real estate is going to perform. Construction is going to perform. Cement is going to perform. So you look at the um, companies playing in those three sectors that I've just mentioned. Construction, you look at Zodeja, um Cement, you look at Wapco, you look at Boa Cement, you look at Dangote, you look at um, Lafarge. Um, real estate, you look at um, UPDC, you look at um, some real estate investment trust. Again, the consumer sector will also benefit. If you look at um, 
breweries what they are going to their turnover this time around will be greater than usual because there will be um greater number of parties that will be occurring this time around greater number of social gatherings that will be occurring this time around so the same thing with um the same thing with uh, the telecom sector the telecom sector would see an increase in voice in voice usage not just that we see an increase in data usage so companies playing in that sector will actually benefit so essentially the way you start is you try to look at what is happening in the economy what are the things that are dominating the talk of the news like i've just told you for nigeria politics is dominating so what are the economic benefits that's how you see it politics is dominating what are the economic benefits of um the politics i've just told you money will move faster in the economy and there are some um sectors of the economy that will benefit from the increase in the velocity of money so what are the sectors that will benefit what are the companies that will benefit so after looking at those three major points how is the economy performing um how is the, what are the major teams dominating the economy what are the sectors that will benefit from those major teams then you look at the companies then you then pick these companies you then look at how they have performed for the past 2 3 years you look at um their financial are they healthy that's the first thing you look at is the company you are looking at is it healthy how do you know that a company is healthy is it overburdened with debt you look at the books there is balance sheet um what is the debt size what is the um debt size to equity how much of its assets is being financed with debt and then how is that um debt finance how is it affecting its operation in terms of the amount of interest is paying and then from there after looking at how every company is um how much of cash does it produce if it's producing good cash is the cash something that comes um one and off is it erratic if it's a company that has low um debt profile and has good cash flow then you will see a company that will be very healthy that can take advantage of any um economic wind that comes its way then after that you look at the operations of the company you look at the income statement how has this my company how has it performed in the last 3 years how has um the revenue how has it performed is the revenue increasing why is it increasing is it increasing because people are demanding for more of its goods or the revenue is increasing because the company is able to increase price if the company is increasing revenue because it's increasing price it will get to a point the customers will would have had enough of price increases but if um the company is recording higher growth in revenue due to increase in demand of its product due to volume then you can see a company that the future is bright then you look at um how has the company been able to manage the cost that is using to generate the revenue you look at the gross profit margin what level is it how consistent it is is it expanding is it shrinking um for the nigerian case 
we know that um, cost of um, input is increasing drastically and most companies get their input from abroad. How has, it, how has the company been managing its cost? The cost management process for the company, you can see that by reading two, three years of its financial statement. You will see the way, the tone of um, the CEO's um, report in the financial statement, the tone of the chairman's report in the financial statement. You will see the strategy. So basically, how is the revenue doing? Um, how are the margins? How is the company able to manage um, its costs? From that, you can then know if um, a company is good or not. Then, investing is actually more of intuition because nobody can predict the future. You just look at, based on what you have seen so far in the last two, three years of its financial statement and what the economy is doing, how is this company likely to fail in the next two to three years? In doing that, you can go online, try to put the um, name of the company on Google, read about um, the news that is coming out on the company, read about what others are saying, what professional analysts are saying about the company. From that, you then see and then look at, try to distill um, what you think is um, the uh, best um, case for this company. So with that, by looking at uh, how the company is and then looking at how it has appeared in terms of operation for a few years, and then you look at how the economy is going and how the company is going to take advantage of the economy, then you can know how to position yourself into the company. Brilliant. Thank you very, very much. In fact, that was that was a masterclass in investment research and in company analysis. Thank you very, very much, sir. Um, personally, I'm very sure I'll be listening to this episode multiple times because there are a lot of gems in, in all that you have shared. We've taken quite a lot of your time and we, I should just begin to wind things down now. Um, before we let you go, sir, are there any last words or any last thoughts that you just want to share with the retail investors listening to you speak today? Um, to retail investors listening to me, um, know that what is important is building your wealth. Nothing more is important. Not what um, the economy is doing, not what the professionals are saying, not what the news is doing. Um, what the news, what's on the news. What is most important to you is you want to increase your world. How do you do that? So once you know how to do that, you can able to put plan. Um, the abenga of most um, retail investors and where it seems professionals do win more than um, retail investors is the lack of um, adequate plan. You don't need to put a perfect plan on ground but you need to put a plan on, a strategy on how to build your world. Once you put down a plan on how to build your, your world, and then you take note of the fact that opportunity will meet um, preparedness, then um, you can um, take advantage of any economic situation, whether it's a recession, whether it's an expansion, whether there's inflation, 
whether it's a depletion. Once you have your plan rock solid, you can tweak it and build your wealth. To retail investors, know that building your wealth is the most important. Thank you very, very, very much, sir. It's been a, an absolute pleasure listening to you speak this evening, sir. Um, I'm sure Thank I'm going you. to get a lot of emails from listeners that would request that we bring you back to the show some other time in future. Hope you wouldn't mind if we bring you back on in future, sir. No, I wouldn't mind. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening and thank you for the wonderful time. Thank you very much.